Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture show broadcast in Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back with a brand new episode. And this week, we're doing something a little different. We're not talking about a movie, a book, or a TV show, but those may come up in the conversation. Because this week, we're talking about underrated movie directors. And this is not actually my idea. It's actually my guest's idea. He came to me and he said, like, hey, would you want to do this? And at first, I was wondering, like, that's... Interesting, and then I thought about it for a moment. I'm like, okay, that could be a pretty cool conversation. And so, without further ado, my guest today is Mr. Guy Milks. How you doing, Guy? It's it's nice to finally be back on the show. You know, <laughs> although I, I was on a little while ago with Michael Lyons, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't make the joke that it's been four years because I made you watch uh, Psycho remake and you never had me back. <laughs> Wait, is this the first time you're back since Psycho remake? No, no, I was with uh, Michael Lyons. You oh, yeah, we did Michael Close Encounters, right? Yep, we did Close Encounters. Yeah, I, yeah that's why okay. I said I, I couldn't make that. Couldn't make that joke. Um, I could have made it with Michael Lyons, but I don't think I did. But anyways, <laughs> right? But yeah, uh, so like I said, we're talking about our most underrated film directors. What we think to be anyway, and what people should check out some more. So let's jump into that conversation right now. Okay. Now, guy, what spurred this idea on initially? Um, the number one on my list. I had, uh, I, which I, I'm not going to say, but I was, uh, I was watching. You got to keep that a secret until until we hit number one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought he was not going to tell us. You're like, yeah, here my number one. Dot dot dot. No, no, no. Not till we reached number one. Uh, I was, I was watching. Uh, a marathon of his movies and I'm like, you know what? This guy, we, I'll, I'll get in the conversation. When we get there. I, but it was my number one list, and I'm like, man, there's a lot of, and I'm like, he's really, uh, uh, forgotten and underrated. And he did a lot for the, for cinema. And I'm like, and I started thinking, and I, and I, I hit like three others popped in my head right away. And I'm like, oh, that would be a good podcast. And that's when I'm like, uh, Tim, because <laughs> you're the only one that has a podcast that, uh, that that would probably be interested in covering this one. You know, I, I can't, you know, the other people I know, they may have, but may not have that do podcasts, uh, be interested in covering directors. But, you know, you being a filmmaker yourself, I'm like, ah, I bet you. And your love of film, I'm like, yeah, I bet you Tim would like like want to do that. And if I if I can't find anybody, well, I guess I'm just gonna have to write a post. And I didn't want to write a post. <laughs> yeah, it's like first off, I'm thank you for bringing this to me because I'm like I'm actually really excited into this conversation here. And yeah, this was like it took me a moment to like really kind of rack my brain. Like, okay, 
what movies I really enjoy or I think are really good that the filmmakers themselves are not spoken about that much. Uh, like you know their work, like how I kind of describe it, like you know their work, but you may not know their name. That's how I kind of made my list. Is that the same way you did? Uh, what mine was was you may know their you may know their work and you may know their name, but it's nobody that comes right to mind when when you think of great directors. Is what mine is, is the way I thought it. Although a couple of them are people that that uh, um, well, my number one, you and I will know, and and close friends of ours will know. But if you were to ask the general public, they they would have no idea who this director is. So, gotcha. And so let's get into it. Uh, I'll have you go first. Uh, we'll go from five to one. And what is your number five? Uh, my fi- like I we 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 recorded yesterday, so this was a kind of a cheat. And, and you know that my what my cheat is, and my number five is George Miller, um, because the man's never made a bad movie. Uh, and yes, he got a lot of recognition for Fury Road, but people forget, you know, that he did the other three Mad Maxes. He did Witches of Eastwick. Um, he the did best Twilight did, Zone segment in the Twilight Zone movie. The, the, exactly. I mean, he did Happy Feet, Happy Feet Two, which he wasn't happy with, but they're actually really good kids movies. Um, Babe Pig in the City, which I absolutely adore. It's a it's a kids movie and it's silly and it's kind of but man, it's I find it very inventive. I, the man's never ever made a bad movie, um, not not a single one. And I don't think he gets the credit he deserves for being one of those people that never made a bad movie. Yeah, and, and like a lot of people don't bring it up in conversation, but like even Lorenzo's Oil. Is really good. It's a, it's a it's a really good movie. Yes, it's 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 not necessarily something you expect because most people think George Miller. They think Mad Max, and they honestly, I think that's the only movies they think he did mm. is the Mad Max movies. You know, they seem to forget he's got Witches of Eastwick, which is absolutely entertaining from beginning to end. But yeah, like Lorenzo's Oil, man, it's a beautiful movie. It's a great movie. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree there, and. Right, like, he's never made a bad movie. Like, people say, like, oh, the Happy Feet are not your cup of tea. That's fine. Um, but they're still entertaining. And yeah, I think Happy Feet 2 has my favorite cover of a Queen song with their version oh. of Under Pressure. Yeah, yeah. Which is a tall order to do that. It is, it is, a, it is a very tall order. But when you have Pink involved, it's kind of like yeah, you're gonna have good music that way. I like I'm a I'm a fan of Pink, but that's that's me. I like Pink. <laughs> I'm leaving I, it alone. I, I I like her. Yes, I like the singer. Yes, I like the other kind of Pink too. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Pink shirts, Pink cardigans. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, is it any other final words on George Miller? No, no, I, I, I think that pretty much covers George. Nice, nice. Uh, my number five, he's like, of the gentlemen that we're going to be speaking to, like, he might be, he's probably made the, arguably the biggest work consistently. But he's rarely, like, outside of, like, really, like, niche film schools and film scholars, like, his name's not brought up that often. Like, he started off as an editor initially, and, like, he got an editor nomination uh, for Citizen Kane. And then he would go on to be a director, and he did. He started off like like a lot of people working horror movies, and he started doing a few of the Val Luton movies, like 
uh, Curse of the Cat People, and The Body Snatchers. And eventually, he would go on to direct some, some of the biggest movies of all time, including The Day the Earth Stood Still, West Side Story, and The Sound of Music. Oh. I'm talking about Robert Wise. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. And he's obviously, like, he's back on my mind right now because obviously the the trailer for the West Side Story remake just dropped. And I'm like, I have not watched West Side Story in quite a long time. The, like, the first adaptation, so I'm going to rectify that again soon. But, yeah, like, sure, he made some kind of, like, iffy movies. Like, he did the Star, Star Trek The Motion Picture. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he did. <laughs> Which I, 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 was, I have a subtitle for that. It's the cure for insomnia. Wait, wait. Well, here's the thing. The thing is, it's not badly directed. It's just a slog of a movie. So, yeah. <laughs> He's doing his best 2001 impression there. Yes, he is. And he, but he somehow was able to make it even more boring than 2001. <laughs> that's, that, that's quite a feat. <laughs> yeah, we fell in love with these model shots, so we're not going to cut any footage from them. <laughs> wait, wait, what is it, like 10, 15 minutes for that that opening in the director's cut? <laughs> it's, it's like forever. <laughs> I, I think you can describe it as obscene. Uh, <laughs> it, is, it really is. But yeah, I mean, obviously West Side Story, the sound of music, which was like one of the biggest box office movies of all time. Uh, later on, do like smaller movies, like uh, like the Andromeda Strain, uh, the, the Hindenburg. Um, yeah, he was just a really, he was a, a craftsman, and he would just go, like he, whatever genre, he would just apply himself to, and he was just really fantastic at doing that. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of, the Sound of Music or West Side Story, but I will never ever say anything bad about the direction uh, of those movies because um, they're they're very well put together, very well directed. I just uh, for musicals, and I am a fan of musicals. West Side Story and uh, Sound of Music just don't do it for me. <laughs> uh, oh, anyway, that's it. The, the music West Side Story the music's great I'm not a fan of the, the, the I, I find the, I found the story yes I know it's Romeo and Juliet but for some reason it just did not work for me um, and then Sound of Music I just don't like that movie I just don't I know that's sacrilege but I don't <laughs> it's fine I, I mean like think of it this way he made the first adaptation of The Haunting yes which is still, I think, one of the scariest movies ever made. And you don't see That's, a thing in that movie. That is a great, great, great movie. And, like, I, I think... I don't want to say, like, uh, it's because it's based on the same source material. But, like, I don't think you would have had The Haunting of the Hill House the same way without The Haunting film. Oh, you definitely don't. You definitely don't. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, my number five is Robert Wise. Uh, what is your number four? Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, uh Walter Hill. Ooh, good choice. <laughs> uh, the Warriors, Streets of Fire, uh, 48 Hours, um, I even like Last Man Standing. I think that's a wonderful, I think that's a great film. Um, 
God, he's done others. I mean, I, he did the sequel too. He did another Forty Eight Hours. Yeah, yeah. I, Walter Hill is a guy that uh, he he's he's uh, he just doesn't get the credit he deserves. I mean, he's he's on comedies. He did uh, I do believe he did Brewster's Millions. Did he? I do believe so. I'm gonna look it up right now. Hold on, sorry. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, also, like, he also did like Southern Comfort, The Driver. Like, yeah, he, um, it, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Crossroads. He did Crossroads. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. He did Streets of Fire, Brewster's Millions, and he did Crossroads. I didn't even realize he did Crossroads. <laughs> the the Ralph Macchio one. Huh. So he like he almost made C via movie star. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's it just uh, Walter Hill's he, he, he and he and he's he's very eclectic. Obviously, I mean, I mean, Streets of Fire alone is uh, what, what rock and roll fantasy is how he how he how he pulls it how he uh, claims it at the beginning. This is rock and roll fantasy, I, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. I love Streets of Fire. Um, yeah, that guy. And, and yes, he tends to be a little. Especially towards the beginning, a little more lower budget, uh, but man, I, the guy the guy directs a good movie. Yeah, and I imagine if somebody was going to be disparaging to Walter Hill in your presence, you would uh, take a baseball bat and show it up their ass and make him a popsicle stick. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm really kicking myself that I didn't think of Walter Hill. I, I I was actually surprised that that one didn't end up being a, a, a double on our list. First, actually, I, I I thought that I'm like I'm looking at my list and I'm like that one there might be a might be a a, a, a double. We may uh <laughs> we we may cross over on that one, but I guess I was wrong. Yeah, but uh, do you like I guess like do you have a favorite movie of his? A uh, Streets of Fire. Seriously, Streets of Fire. I love Streets of Fire. I love that movie. It it is it is it is just amazing to me. The the the. I mean, because he he mixes action. He uh, the the musical scenes. I mean, he he really directs the hell out of that movie. And he and he directs a bunch of different things. You know, it's it's. I I love that movie. Very nice, and yeah, I mean, like obviously. Diane Lane is amazing in that, like just like everybody else. Yep. Uh, a very, a very young William Defoe. So crazy, and so crazy in that movie. Um, Rick Moranis playing a complete jerk, which is not the easiest thing for Rick Moranis to do, if you ask me, because <laughs> he's so likable in real life. Yeah, and, and and all his other things. So yeah. Oh, God damn it! Now I'm in the mood to watch Streets of Fire. <laughs> yep. Uh, but uh, any final thoughts on Walter Hill? Uh, if you don't know the guy, please check him out. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Uh, my number four is a filmmaker by the name of John Sturgis. I know the name. Uh, he's in a bunch of like big movies. Like one of his movies, like was uh, Bad Day at Black Rock. Oh, uh, okay. Gunfight at the OK Corral in 1957, and his two biggest movies, The Magnificent Seven and The Great Escape. Uh, I've definitely seen the last two. 
I'm not so sure about the first two, but I definitely seen the last two. See, underrated. I I don't know this guy right over my head. <laughs> right. And it's funny because him and filmmaker Preston Surges are both from the Chicago area, but apparently have no relation whatsoever. Oh. But it was one of those things they would always be like, "Hey, do you know? Are you related to Preston?" And they'd both be like, "No, we're not related." Uh but yeah, Bad Day at Black Rock is a really good. Like it's like a it's like a crime thriller set in the desert with uh, Spencer Tracy and Robert Ryan, and it's about the the secrets that this town has buried after World War II. Oh, that sounds intriguing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of the things that like somebody's pointing this out. I think I, there was some documentary about Spencer Tracy. Like a lot of times, like he'll look down and he'll walk, and then he'll look back up in the middle of his dialogue, and it's him looking for his mark. Where he's going to be oh. stepping to next. So like, next time you watch anything with Spencer Tracy, you see him looking down suddenly and then back up. Like he's looking for his mark where he's going to have to stand next, and that's why he's doing that. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, and the Magnificent Seven is an amazing remake of Seven Samurai. That's an amazing film. That's an absolutely amazing film. And it really is like a true who's who in that movie. Very much so. Very much so. I mean, Yul Brenner, Eli Walk, Steve McQueen, Jazz Branson, Robert Vaughn, Horace uh, Bolzak, and like it's—I mean, the the Elmer Bernstein score. Like, you just hear those first few notes. You're like, "All right, I have to go on an adventure now." Right. And the Great Escape is—is is there anything else I can say about the Great Escape that has not been said before? I I I don't think you can. That's a, an amazing film. Uh, one of my dad's favorite war movies of all time. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of a sad thing. People who have not seen it, spoilers, like, most people do not make it out of it. Uh, no, they don't. <laughs> I think, like, three of, like, the 40 people I get out actually make it to safety. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is three. I think Bronson lives... Uh, what was it? Who else? I'm trying to think. I think Donald Pleasance dies, but James Garner lives. Hmm. I think James Colburn makes it out of that. I think he joins the resistance in Italy. I, it's been a long time since so I've seen that one since I've seen it with my dad. So it's been, it's been over at least over 10 years. Yeah. But yeah, so The Great Escape, John Sturgis, I think he just doesn't get enough uh, recognition. And like a lot of people, like he was like one of the first big adopters of the CinemaScope widescreen and not to do it in a traditional fashion. So yeah, John Sturgis is mine number four. Uh, so Guy, what is your number three? Um, I'm going with uh, Terry Gilliam. Ooh, good choice. <laughs> uh, the, the man has made some of the most uh, offbeat movies of all time. That 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 is is uh, I don't want to say uh, David Lynch or Cronenberg light, but I mean I I would put him in the same wheelhouse as them. It's just he doesn't do the horror, you know. Um, but yeah, you like uh, the Fisher King, um, Twelve Monkeys, uh, Time Bandage, uh, Jabberwocky, which you haven't seen, you need to. It's an um, it's it's a great it's a great movie. Um, obviously, he he uh, 
uh, well, he helped direct uh, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, but yeah, it, it just uh, Brazil, which is absolutely amazing. Um, it is it is bizarre. It is if, uh, but it just it just he just does some really great stuff with these offbeat characters and offbeat movies. You know, um, I still haven't seen his Don Quixote one, but is that even out? I think it's out. So I haven't seen that, but he's he, he's one that I, I watch everything he releases. I don't like it all. I don't understand it all. But the stuff that he that he does release and people like, you know, I, I know most people will when you think of Terry Gilliam, uh, it's like time bandits, you know, and stuff. Like that. But, you know, like he did the Fisher King, which is an absolute amazing drama. So, yeah. Very nice. And, and you're right. I mean, like Brazil will go down. His she's one of the greatest movies ever made. Oh, oh, for sure. For sure. And if anybody in the past, like, 30 years is a fan of anything, whether it be cyberpunk or science fiction or speculative fiction, you owe a great deal of gratitude to the work of Brazil. Oh, very much so. Oh, very much so. And it's like I've all, I saw it once in college, and I, I think I owed myself to watch it again very soon. It it's it's really good, and it's a Christmas movie. It is a Christmas movie, you're right. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Fit that in between the Santa Claus and Die Hard, Brazil. That's right. That's right. It's 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 it, um. Uh, you might want to watch it first because it's the, it's not the most uplifting of movies. <laughs> All right, like pair that with "It's a Wonderful Life." I know you're not a fan of "It's a Wonderful Life," but that's the. Oh no, I am. I am. Jamie's the one that's not a fan of. It's oh a right, life. my I, bad. I do like "It's a Wonderful Life." In fact, I used to watch it every year on my birthday because my birthday's Christmas Eve. So. <laughs> well, I guess I'm just a really blessed person. In the end. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> <gasps> Merry Christmas, Kingston Falls! <laughs> like, I want to be as elated as that moment. Like, that's like, I want to be, I reach that level of happiness so I can just run around the streets and screaming cheers at people. <laughs> but yeah, like, Terry Gilliam, and, and like, it's, it's, it's an odd thing. Terry Gilliam is like, he's one of the, like, I guess, unluckiest filmmakers out there. Uh, he, he does have a lot of production problems. <laughs> To say the least, and it makes you wonder: like, is it luck, or maybe is he just? I don't know that he's like really rigid and won't let his vision be tainted in any way. That's resulting in why uh, his stuff is not released as often. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I really, I really, I really don't understand. I mean, it's not like he hasn't made movies that made a lot of money, you know. So. Fisher King was huge for him. Uh, Twelve Monkeys was huge for him. You know, he. I mean, I know he's, uh, and those are probably a little more mainstream than the other stuff that we like Brazil and Jabberwocky and um, uh, Time Bandits. I wouldn't consider Time Bandits mainstream. That's a little bit uh, off kilter, 
but uh, even even his more straightforward, like Fisher King and stuff, is all off kilter. So I don't I don't I don't I don't know what it is why he has such a hard time getting his movies out there. Gotcha. But yeah, Fisher King's amazing. Him and I think it's what it's Jeff Bridges, right? Jeff Bridges and Robin Williams. Yeah, it's a great Robin Williams performance in that. Great Robin Williams, and Jeff Bridges does a great job too. But yeah, Robin Williams is just on fire with that one. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, any other final words on Terry Gilliam? Nope, I think I got him. Nice. Uh, my number three, it, this one is very niche, I realize this. Uh, it is a German filmmaker by the name of Max Ophels. And he's done like a lot of like like big romantic dramas at the time, but he's very famous because of his use of camera movements. He was one of like, the first people to really move the camera in a very unique way. He did a bunch of stuff, like obviously in Germany and France, and obviously he immigrated to the United States during World War II. And the fact that he's, he's so known for his elaborate camera movements of like with cranes and, and dolly tracks and everything, that when he made a few movies in the United States, James Mason, James Mason appeared in a bunch of them, and he wrote us a small little, like, a poem about Max Ophuls and his use of camera movement. It goes, uh, A shot that does not call for tracks is agony for poor old Max, who, separated from his dolly, was wrapped in the deepest melancholy. Once they took away his crane, I thought he'd never smile again. And you can find a lot of, at least his, his American stuff, actually on YouTube. It's actually really easy to find. Oh, really? Max? Max? Ophuls. O. P H U L S. Okay. Okay. Has, uh, he, has he done anything that that, that I, I I probably don't because I have no idea. I I have no idea of the name at all. Uh, and, probably not. Uh, but like his American movies, I would recommend. Uh, it's t- titles called Caught. Caught. Yeah, okay. with James Mason, uh, Robert Ryan, and Barbara Bel Geddes. Um, it's a nice little like little film noir right there and there's another one called The Reckless Moments okay they're both on YouTube last time I checked in like one long video and yeah in his his like movies that he did in France like the ones that he's most known for like La Placier and Earrings of Madame Abdul I have my beret on just in case for this conversation (laughs) and and like if, if it's one of those people like Stanley Kubrick wouldn't move the camera the way he did without Max Hoffel. It's the same thing with P.T. Anderson. They're big proponents of Max Hoffel's filmmaking. And I think even Anderson did like a an intro video to The Earrings of Madame Du. And, and just like how he just moves it in such a fluid way. And it never looks like it's never too showy. It always seems to be perfect and everything. And you have to imagine these cameras are like hundreds of pounds or something like that because they're like the, the, the old ones they're with giant right, blimps right. on them hmm. like if you've ever seen like the singing in the rain you see how huge those cameras were oh, like oh, oh i've definitely seen singing in the rain <laughs> and you have to try to imagine all right now we have to do this elaborate crane shot to go from like 50 feet in the air to a close-up and you don't kill a your actor or your grips that's really remarkable that's that, that's that's crazy mm-hmm yeah so the earrings of Madame do like if anybody who has the criterion channel i'm pretty sure that's up there uh but yeah and so guy what is your number two 
Uh, this is one that you knew what was coming because I kind of hinted at it. Um, John Borman. Um, yes. As far as I'm concerned, that man makes the most beautiful movies ever made. That man shoots a movie and it is absolutely uh, gorgeous. Uh, Excalibur, uh, The Emerald Forest, uh, Zardoz, uh, Hope and Glory, which is my absolute favorite of his. Um, uh, Deliverance. Um, <laughs> um, and say what you want about Exorcist 2. It's a good looking film. <laughs> yeah, know? but it begins and, and ends and there, guy. Well, I know, I know, I know. Um, but yeah, I, 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 John Borman has always been a favorite. Uh, the first movie I saw of his was obviously Excalibur, um, which I absolutely love. It is the, it is still the best Arthurian adaption ever. Um, I don't see it ever being topped. Um, Hope and Glory, which is my favorite of his, um, which is about a, a young boy living through World War II in, in Europe. Um, I do believe it's kind of self-biographical, I think. I can't remember 100%, so that may be wrong. Um, but a, a wonderful film, a beautiful film. Um, I mean, the, 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 the guy, you can't put him in a wheelhouse because you got Zardoz, which is, you know, Sean Connery running around in a lion cough for the entire movie. <laughs> um, it's bizarre. It's weird, but it's a great movie. It's very well directed, and that's the way it is with all of Borman's films. They're 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 and they none of them. I mean, you you go from Deliverance to Excalibur, just completely different. He not, I don't think he ever made the same movie twice or the same type of movie twice. Yeah, it's really fascinating to see filmmakers like he's. There's obviously there's filmmakers that are like they can only make one type of movie, right? Like I love Tarantino, but Tarantino can only really make a Tarantino movie, exactly. And like that can encompass encompass a lot of things because I think he's able to do like a war epic and a quiet drama, but they're still very Tarantino films. Yes, his 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 mark is all over the movie, whatever movie he makes. Even even when uh, like when he when he when he guest directed for Sin City, and he did the 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 dialogue scene between um um Clive Owen and uh, Benicio del Toro. Benicio, you can you can tell us Tarantino. There's no way around it. That's Tarantino. You know it is. Yes, but like a filmmaker was able to leap from one genre to another and do it seamlessly is really like that's a magic trick to me yes very much so i agree but like i know you've told me to see excalibur a couple of times i still haven't had a chance to it's 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 amazing you are it is absolutely amazing (sighs) fine 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 twist my arm while you're at it Uh, I do. I, I highly recommend Excalibur. I highly recommend um, Hope and Glory. I highly recommend Emerald Forest. Those are my top three favorite of his. Um, Deliverance would come in number four um, because it. And I know you've seen Deliverance. <laughs> um, yes. That is an amazing film. That is absolutely amazing. I saw that actually before I went on a uh, rafting trip. Bad decision. <laughs> Did you did you cut your mouth up a little bit so it wasn't so pretty? <laughs> uh, it was. As my friends would ask, is that bad? It's not good. Oh god! 
and and there was like a uh, there's a a short film that played like with Empire Strikes Back that was kind of like the inspiration to Borman's Excalibur. Oh, that the guys at like ILM made like with their free time, and I I gotta find it. Like, hold on, let me see. Ba 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 ba. The short film that inspired uh, Excalibur. Okay. Okay, it was a movie called Black Angel. Okay. And I'll have to find it and send it to you and everything. But, uh, yeah, it, it was a... It was a fantasy, like, epic, like, like that was done, like, in 20 minutes that, like, a lot of the style that Warren would use for Excalibur came from this short. I'd be interested in seeing that. Hmm. Okay. But, yeah. So, all right. Uh, any other final words on John Borman? Uh, please, visit as much John Borman as you can, people. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree. And staying on kind of a similar route, um, I'm gonna, we're going to go from one John to another because uh, my number two is uh, John Frankenheimer. Oh, oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Who's been like it's only like a, like a, a couple of past couple of years that I've really gotten obsessed with his movies. I mean, like last night I was watching one of his movies, uh, one of his biggest early movies, The Birdman from Alcatraz. Oh yeah. And he would go on to do movies like The Manchurian Candidate, Seven Days in May, The Train, Grand Prix, French Connection 2, Black Sunday, and Ronin. And to less extent, Prophecy and Reindeer Games. But we all have blemishes on our record. Uh, Prophecy, is that the William... Is that the... Not the... The, the Christopher Walken movie? Uh, no, this one, it's the Killer Bear movie. Oh, oh, pro- oh, pro- oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen that one. Oh yeah, that's right. He did do that one. Yeah, that's not a good one. No, but I think he admitted that he was on a he was on a lot of substances when he was making that movie. <laughs> it shows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I mean the, the fact that like he came up in live television in the 1950s, very much like his mentor Sidney Lumet, who was almost on my list, but um, I feel like a lot of people do know who Sidney Lumet is. Uh, he would be my runner-up, but yeah, it's just like all the movies he did with Burt Lancaster and just the 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 political like espionage movies he did, like the the paranoia films, like the I mean, the idea of the Manchurian Candidate is a verb now because people say, oh yeah, like a person who is brainwashed to kill people, which is was not a thing before this point, and. Hell, even like last week, I was watching a movie called Seconds with uh, Rock Hudson, and how unnerving and paranoid riddled that movie is. And the fact he's a, he did one of the greatest car chase movies with Ronan, and that was late in his career, is just really fascinating to me. Yeah, that's the Robert De Niro one, right? Yes. Yeah, that that is a that is a great car chase. Um, that was really late in his career. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cause he like he passed away like four years after that. Wow. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and, and like I said, seven days in May. Like that's Kirk Douglas, Burt Lancaster, uh, Edmund O'Brien, Frederick March, Ava Gardner, and that's about a plot of a 
secret military coup to try to take over the government. I I I know that one. I haven't seen it, but I've heard it. It comes it comes with quite a um um it it, it comes with some 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 hype. I've heard a lot of people say that to watch that one. Right, and, and like the only like really unfortunate time was that it was like a it was released after Kennedy's assassination. Oh, so I don't think people wanted to go see a movie where. The go- uh, a shadow part of the government might have been involved with the death of the president. Right, right. But uh, Kirk Douglas being his most Kirk Douglas possible, <laughs> you can just you can you can hear the chin without even have to see the man. <laughs> right, right. And Burt Lancaster is just slowly becoming one of my favorite actors of all time. And like, it's hard to find the movie called The Train where. Lancaster is part of the French resistance and trying to get back priceless art back from the Nazis at the end of World War Two, and just the it's just like it's a thrill ride from beginning to end, and you're just like wrought with tension. And you're wondering like how the hell are they going to stop this? Okay, how the hell are they going to get out of this now? And it's like oh, we have uh, action set pieces, time between trains and planes having a, a, a fight with each other, and you're like, what? How is this possible? Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So John Frankenheimer, I highly recommend it and his work, and obviously check out Birdman from Alcatraz, Manchurian Candidate, The Train, Seven Days in May. But as we get down to number one, you had did you have any runners up before we get to number one, or is this like your list? Um, uh, believe it or not, um, I had a link letter on my list originally. <laughs> um. I don't. I I know he's well known, and I know a lot of people. But man, I, I the guy. I don't think gets the. I mean, he makes some great. Um, uh, boyhood. He should get amazing credit for boyhood. Boyhood alone. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean. I mean. Uh. Uh. I mean. They got together once a year for thirteen years. They. He took thirteen years to make a movie, and I think he's doing right now. They're supposed to take twenty eight years or something like that. He's doing the exact same thing, and I'm just like. I, I, you know, Scanner Darkly, which is so underrated. <laughs> um, but yeah, he 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 was on my list. I, I he was really close, and then I'm like, I don't know if that's gonna go. And that's when I'm like, well, I can put George on because I think I can sell George a little bit easier than I can sell uh, Linklater as as underrated. That, that's fair. And my runner up, like I said before, was gonna be Sidney Lumet. Um, like you know his work, whether it be Twelve Angry yeah. Men, Network, Dog Day Afternoon, Serpico, Prince of the City, The Verdict, um, and it's just like you, you know his work is like outside of like real big film circles. His name's not brought up too often, and just the, like we've mentioned before, I think it's like a running theme with a lot of these filmmakers is that there's just a variety to the projects they would do, and they were able to do it seamlessly. Is really really astounding as a as a viewer like how could you how could you like do that i mean like i love i like i, I absolutely adore alfred hitchcock but alfred hitchcock could only make alfred hitchcock movies oh for sure oh for sure you even even when he steps out of his wheelhouse like topaz you can tell it's a hitchcock film even the trouble with harry like yeah it's like it's it's a comedy but like it's still yeah predicated on a yeah. lot of things that he's known for yeah, 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 and and he's just he's just got a style. I mean, that, that's yeah. I I agree with you. You know, favorite director of all time, but I can't. You know, Hitchcock can only make Hitchcock films. 
Yeah. And Trouble Harry, it's a perfect uh, fall movie. It really is. And it's a gorgeous movie. God, it's a gorgeous movie. But uh, what is your number one, guy? James Whale. Ooh. Uh, the, the, uh, the man has made tons of movies. Um, but, you know, obviously he's he did arguably the three best Universal Monster movies. Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, and Invisible Man. Um, the the man is, I I truly believe that he is the he is the reason he he's the one that started experimenting with lighting. Um, I I I the the guy knew how to set a mood. Um, his 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 uh his his uh set designs were always used to the absolute max. He never he never sacrificed um he never sacrificed like like eh, bride of frankenstein uh we got that scene where uh they're 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 showing off the 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 things they can do special effects where they're showing the little the little monsters that Pretorius made the little the little people that you know he brought to life mm-hmm. you know and it's completely showing off what they can do but it's never in Never hurts the story. It never hurts the direction. It never, it never, it never feels out of place, you know. And he, he, he was just an amazing man that I truly believe was ahead of his time. And I, 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 it's, it's, it's a shame that he got blacklisted because I think he could have really added even more to cinema than what he already did. Yeah, I, I mean. <laughs> Uh, to paraphrase a line for his movie, like how skilled he was, like this is not skill; it's more like black magic. Right? <laughs> yeah, he created my second favorite horror movie of all time, The Bride of Frankenstein. And like, when you think of Universal monster movies, like the mood, like, like or even just Frankenstein in general, he set up so many of the tropes that we still associate with Frankenstein to this day, nearly a hundred years later. Exactly, exactly. You know, I mean, he, 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 obviously my favorite horror movie is The Invisible Man. And that is still, they have still, I mean, yes, James, uh, not James, uh, Lee Wan L did a great Invisible Man, but he still wasn't able to capture the, the amazement and the descent and the madness that he was able to catch on that film. You know, it's just, it's just, it's, it's amazing that, you know, 80 plus years later, uh, those three Universal films are still so influential, so influential. Yeah, I mean, hell, even like the old Dark House is like a precursor to slasher movies. Yeah, it really is. And yeah, it it, it really is. It's wonderful to see like somebody like to do to be able to do horror movies, but like, I it's easy to disgust or to really disturb in like if you do really screwed up things, but. There was always a there's a lightness to his horror movies. Like they can be still horrific, but it's never devoid of humor. No, 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 never, never. And that's a real tightrope to walk. And he makes it look easy. And like I think filmmakers today are still having trouble doing that. Oh, they definitely are. I, I, I mean, like just the drunk uh, Doctor Pretorius having a. Uh, uh, Jin with the, the the monster and Bride of Frankenstein is hilarious. It is darkly funny. Oh, it is yes. Or just, but it never 
it never crosses over into silly. No. Or a pair of dancing pants popping down the road, scaring people as the Invisible Man sings to himself. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. I mean, just and, – and again, the, the, the techniques that he used to do like the Invisible Man, you know, which uh, 80 plus years later, those effects still hold up. Yeah, they really do. And, and like, it, it makes you sit there wondering like – scratch your head wondering like how the hell did they do that? Yeah, just it's it, it's just amazing, and and I I was I was on a on a kick, and I was watching. I did a marathon of of his three Universal movies, and I'm just like, man, does he even get the credit he deserves? Because look at this, look at these movies. <laughs> you know, he he he's, he expounded on each movie afterwards too. I mean, he did Frankenstein, then he then he, then he did the Invisible Man, right? Then he did the Invisible yes. Man. Yes. Yeah, and and then, and then he did Bride of Frankenstein, and he was able to. You know, and those are like it was like uh, 1931, 1933, and then 1934. When did when did when did Bride come out? Bride's um, 35. Bride's 35, and uh, Invisible Man was 33. I was right with 33. You know, so I mean, in a in a five year period, he was able to make his craft so much better. I mean, because each movie has gotten better. I mean, Invisible Man may be my favorite, uh, but um, God, I hate using this word, but Bride of Frankenstein is easily his masterpiece. And I, you know, I hate using that word for movies, <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely, I mean, that's his end all be all. That, that, I mean, that, that movie is still regarded as one of the best horror movies, best sequels ever made. Mm. A- 80 years later. <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah, any final words on James Whale? Um, please seek him out, and 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 even go see the stuff that that aren't universal because it is still good. Um, he he got blacklisted, so he had to you know start uh, you know having to do uh things for lesser money. So, which is unfortunate. It's so unfortunate. Yeah, you know. But uh, my number one of underrated filmmakers is Michael Curtiz. And you may not know his name, but I assure you, you know his work. Just a few of his movies. Uh, Angels with Dirty Faces. Okay. The Adventures of Robin Hood. Uh, Captain Blood. Yankee Doodle Dandy. White Christmas. Wait, he did, he, he did Yankee Doodle Yankee Doodle and White Christmas? And I, he, I haven't got to the best one yet. He did Casablanca as well. Mm-hmm. A hungry immigrant that made like over sixty-four films in Europe before he was brought to the United States, and like did over a hundred two films in his Hollywood career. Most of them done at Warner's, and he made stars out of people like, uh, what was it, Errol Flynn and Olivia De Havilland, and gave some of the best performances of James Cagney, Joan Crawford, uh, Betty Davis, Doris Day, John Garfield. Yeah, and he was like a machine. Like he was like he was one of those people like he finished the movie on Friday, he gets script on Saturday. By Monday he have ideas how to make the movie. Wow. And like he he's not really kinda like I know like there's a lot of people say like the, the auteur theory and everything and like a filmmaker having his own stamp on the movie and he was no, he was part of the 
studio system. He's part of like the machine where like he's just churning out movies, much like Howard Hawks or John Ford. But I don't think he gets enough credit at, like Ford or Hawks. And he was just as good. He would go from melodrama to western to horror movies. I mean. He did like things like Doctor X, Mystery from the Wax Museum, the original Mystery of the Wax Museum, and yeah, it is just really, really astounding. And I'm just like, like, where archive? Can you just put all this stuff on Blu-ray? I'll, I'll sell my my future children to buy all those movies, please. <laughs> I, I I just wow. I, 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 the, 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 the musicals, I just, I'm just like, wow. Hmm. But you know, but, but, but you're right. Cause, cause I'm, that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's Hollywood where it was a machine. It was literally a machine. They were cranking out movies faster than they could, than they could crank out stars. You know? Yeah. Um, so, 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 so yeah, if you were, you were a part of that, you, you did what you had to do to survive, and that's uh, so you had to adapt. And obviously, he did very well because wow, that's a that's an eclectic set of movies right there, mm-hmm. eclectic. And like, and like how 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 much of it he was in the machine system? Like he hated lunch. He hated taking having to take lunch. He called people who would take lunch lunch bombs. His idea of lunch was cigarettes and aspirin. <laughs> Because he was like, it would slow you down and make you groggy for the second half of the day. He's like, no, no, I can do more setups and everything. And as a on the Casablanca DVD, I'm, I'm sure it's been ported to YouTube. I'm not sure, but it's called like the greatest director you never heard of. It's like a half an hour documentary about him. And there's a book, a life and film about Michael Curtiz, like a hardback. Uh, it's like a couple hundred pages, and like. It's like from the day he was born to like his last days on Earth, it's covered there, and it was a real page turn right there. And I think it was like, I think there's several chapters dedicated to Casablanca, as you can imagine. Well, that that that's that's the one he's probably going to be best known for. So yes, and that movie should not have worked. It should have been a failure. Hmm. Like you had like six, like you had like three different pairs of writers. And you're writing on the day, um, like Max Steiner didn't like doing the score, and and the fact that like all right, we're doing this is like like we need to do as like it was designed to be a propaganda film because it was Warner Bros was like the first studio to put up a middle finger to Nazi Germany at the time. They didn't care right, if they were going to lose right. money in Germany, but and they're like, no, we're going to do this, and it's another thing like on Yankee Doodle Dandy. They started production the day after Pearl Harbor. Wow. And like Curtis like brought, brought the whole cast and crew together the first day. And it's just like, uh, I think we all know we have an important job to do right now with this movie. And we have to do our best with it in his broken English. Because he, he's, as the joke, like a lot of people said, he spoke six languages, none of them well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, he, like he was pretty abusive to actresses, as a lot of people were back in the day. Like he would just like yell and scream and throw tantrums and everything like that. Unless it's the people who could uh, beat him up, like Cagney and Bogart, he wouldn't uh, cause fights with. Hmm. I wonder why. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because he knew that both of them would lay him out. And one of your favorite actors, Claude Rains, was in a bunch of his movies. 
it's it's and and and, and sidebar real quick and let's let's appreciate the talent of James Cagney because everybody knows him as oh you dirty rat when I mean he's the song and dance man and and, and Yankee Doodle Daddy so come on people. <laughs> I- this one moment where in Yankee Doodle Dandy where like he's backstage after a show and he's like stretching himself out and he just like he just jumps on his hands and he like does like a handstand and I'm like dude is in his mid 40s at this point he just did a handstand like that and I'm like god wow. damn just the talent the talent that guy has had was amazing mm-hmm. I, like I still marvel at his tap dancing down the stairs at the end of that movie oh it's so I'm good like, so like, good. Nope, I'm breaking both ankles and both wrists if I attempt that. <laughs> my neck gone. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so yeah, my number one is Michael Curtiz, and he's one of those like whenever Warner Archive or Criterion announces they're putting out one of his movies, like on their day one, I'm picking that stuff up, and like you wouldn't have Spielberg the way he is without him. You wouldn't have George Lucas the same way without him. You wouldn't have William Freakin without Michael Curtiz, and. The fact that he's not brought up in the same conversations as like Orson Welles or John Ford or Howard Hawks, I find this to be kind of unfortunate in my eyes. Nope, nope, nope. That makes sense. But yeah, so I hope everyone's enjoyed our little escapade into underrated filmmakers here. This was a fun conversation, Tim. Thanks, thanks for thanks for uh, uh, placating me and, and doing this one because I I had been thinking about it and I'm like, man, I really want to do this. <laughs> I, I just wonder how people are going to react. Like, I put out an episode that's underneath an hour. They're going to be like, wait, what? What's going on here? Were you that Were you that short on content? <laughs> no, it was a. It was a. It was a. I, it, Two of the directors you brought up, I had no idea who they were. So what, I had not much to say. <laughs> True. So, so you know, and and uh, yeah. So I thought I, I I thought it was a great conversation. Yes, it was. Now, if people want to follow you on social media, guy, where can they find you? Uh, you know, you can catch me on Twitter at Galactic Scumbag. You can catch me on Instagram at Galactic underscore Scumbag. And you can catch me with Tim on Please Rewind. Usually weekly. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun what we do over there. Please rewind. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts or at rf4rm.com. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at this is Tim Rooney. Rooney as an R O O N E Y. Uh, obviously, like I said, please rewind the podcast and my my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash through the lens productions, where all my short films and videos are up. You can find links to that in the description below. Guy, thank you for taking time every day to have this conversation with me. Uh, again, thanks for doing it, man, because I, I really wanted I really wanted to get this conversation out there. Mm-hmm. Come back next time. We'll continue to talk about uh, Geek of Pop Culture, and we'll be speaking to you soon.